Hey, good morning, all. Welcome to the Common Good Podcast. It's Tuesday, Politics Day. Hey, do you ever have that feeling and you say it to people around you? Boy, this just feels like the longest day. I mean, I'm just having the longest day. Well, today, yeah. today you should really say that. Do you know why, Rob Ryersey? Because in why the is nor- that, Doug Paget? Because in the Northern Hemisphere, this is the longest daylight day of the year. My favorite day, summer solstice, the sun is out, the long, I mean, if you're living in Australia, you're on the other side of this thing, you know, it's it's your shortest day, but for all of us, longest day. And uh, I mismanaged my own personal schedule because normally on this day, what I do is start walking, running, or riding something when the sun comes up and do it till the sun goes down uh, here in Minnesota, which is like, you know, 5.30 in the morning till 9.00. I own a website called The Longest Day. I'm not kidding. I do a whole fundraiser fundraiser thing around it. And somehow I booked my day like without without paying attention. Uh, And so apparently I'm taking the day off from uh, my longest day activities. I had no idea that you were like a summer solstice guy. Oh boy, worship that sky. so it's not going to be the longest day, you know, for walking, running, or rolling, but it will be one of our longer days here of being on live uh, on yeah. you know, on YouTube and and Facebook and Twitch and Twitter. Yeah, uh, because you know who's going to have a long day today? Who's this? Donald Donald Trump. Is Donald J. Have Trump is going to have a long day. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think you know. Apparently, he's also throwing his uh, former lawyer uh, uh, under the proverbial congressional bus. So. I'm, I'm pretty sure uh, they're all going to be having long days. And, we, and we'll be watching that. So if you're watching now, stick with us. I mean, you know, get a little exercise between the end of this conversation about 9 a.m. Central Time and join us back at noon Central Time. We'll be watching the hearings together. Uh, it's going to be a long day. Well, hey, not only is it a long day, it's a beautifully hot day here in Minnesota where I am outside of mm-hmm. Minneapolis. It's like 98 degrees. It's got the Arkansas feel to it. How, how's it feeling over there in uh just outside of Fayetteville. You know, we've uh, we're in the midst of a hot streak. Um, it's it's in the nineties. It's uh, it's in the nineties, and it's going to be in the nineties probably until around Halloween. So, you know, we just <laughs> awesome. you just hunker down and be hot. That's that's pretty much what we've got. Well, I hope the sun is also out and it's our dry wind. Um, all right, so excited about our conversation today with Nan Whaley. Nan is running for governor in Ohio. And uh, mm-hmm. Nan, we're super excited to see you again. Thanks for putting up with our yeah. weather chit chat. How are how are things uh, looking there? In uh, are you in Dayton, Ohio, th- this morning? I, Where do you? I, I am in Dayton. I was in Cleveland and Akron yesterday, which was a beautiful day, frankly. And it's getting a little warmer again here. We've been having some ninety degree days. That is uncommonly hot for June in Ohio. So uh, my husband's back to be like. Opening the windows or shutting the windows every few days. So, uh, but it's, it's still sunny, and I love the summer solstice, just like you, Doug. So, oh, great. great well, we like talking about the weather around here at the start of our Tuesday chit chats because weather is one of those things that at least we can say we share that in common, right? There's days where you feel like, do we share anything else in common in our in our political or civic lives? But we do sit under the same sun and feel the same wind. So it's a real coming together moment. And then we can just complain, you know, some people can say, I like it hot. Some people can say, I don't like it hot. And there we go. Now, now, now we're back to normal. You know, I know some people on my staff are really like from California. So they really like the warm weather. 
some of our staffs from Minnesota and Michigan, and they're not as crazy about the hot weather. They like long for snow. So it's been interesting to watch uh, different opinions even here on the Nan Whaley campaign. Now, Nan, not only are you, were you are you running for governor, which is fantastic. We need you to to win. We're all realizing the reasons why sure. our state governments matter uh, beyond just the goodness that you'll do for your particular state, but because of the way that the United States of America has a united sense of our states and they all chip in together on certain things and governors play a significant role in that. But you've also been the, the mayor of Dayton, of Dayton, Ohio. Yes. Uh, for eight years, I was the mayor of Dayton until January of this year. I was also president of the U.S. Conference of Mayors, which I'm oh. really proud of. Uh, my colleagues from across the country chose me to lead them, uh, come, really coming out of COVID. Uh, and in that time, you know, we worked to pass the bipartisan infrastructure bill, Democrat, Republican and independent mayors coming together to get that done. Uh, and support that effort. Mm. Uh, and then also uh, the ARPA funding that helped, you know, provide funding for cities, particularly for police and fire and other services uh, that we were nervous about coming out of COVID. It's helped uh, really keep cities solvent all across the United States. And so was proud to do both of those actions uh, in coordination with uh, mayors from across mm. the country. Uh, you know, I love mayors. You know, uh, it was a tough decision for me to decide to run for governor. You know, mayors, you know, have to get it done. And, you know, uh, uh, you have to think and be visionary for your community about where your community wants to go over the next, you know, 5, 10, 20 years. But at the same time, if you don't do a good job on the snow or don't fill that pothole, <laughs> right now. so got to be on the ground and visionary at the same time. It's a really unique position. When you, when you were the, the president of the Council of, of Mayors, uh, did people call you Madam President when you had meetings just to warm you up to that eventual <laughs> reality that you uh, that you will someday? The experience? other mayors, the other mayors do that. It's like more, I think, of a teasing way. Uh, but yeah, yeah. So, they're so great. Uh, but you know, if you're uh, going to take that mantle on later in life, you're going to have to get used to it. So it's probably good training, <laughs> good training ground. Hey, Nan, t- tell us. Uh, so you, you've worked hard. You've worked in city government. Um, city government, in a lot of ways, is elected office. Of course, you know you're elected to it, but it doesn't always feel the same way that other elected positions can feel to people. It's it's a work. You know, they say sometimes in politics, there's workhorses and show horses, and certainly uh, being a mayor is a it, that's a working job. Um, then you decided to to run for governor. Uh, t- talk about that decision. What what went into that for you? How did you decide to, to say, hey, um, I want to keep offering myself to public service and this time in this in this role? Well, I, I think for a couple of reasons. Number one, you know, as as working with mayors from across the state, we see cities, you know, being forgotten and ignored by the state house. The state house has been called the most corrupt in the country by the FBI, and they're not really paying attention to the issues that are affecting the people that live in Dayton or Akron or even Finley. Uh, they're making sure that their pockets are lined, and that affects the services that we get directly from our state. Uh, and so that was a big reason for me to run is, you know, making sure that people that have been forgotten and ignored actually have um, a real partner at the state house uh, in the governor's office. Uh, and so that drove me into the race. Uh, also, you know, what I've seen in this governor, frankly, he's been in office since I was 10 months old. I'm 46 years old, uh, bicentennial baby, uh, um, is the fact that, you know, he's gotten further and further ahead. His family's gotten further and further ahead. But really, the people of Ohio have gotten further behind. When Mike DeWine came into office, 
uh, you know, uh, we were leading ahead of the American at national wage. Now we're behind it. Uh, our mm. communities were growing. Now they're getting smaller. And I think that has a lot to do with the age of our politics where people go to office, frankly, to get wealthy instead of really serve the public. And um, I think we need to have a new way forward in Ohio that puts the focus back on workers. Uh, mm. You know, frankly, Mike DeWine uh, has lost touch with what Ohio is about. And, you know, I think we need new leadership to, you know, really that really has been on the ground, has been, you know, around and is like most of the people in Ohio. And I think that's what we're offering here in this race. Nan, is, uh, you know, as we have as a, a nation been absorbing again, tragically, um, <laughs> more situations of, of, of gun violence and and trying to wrap our brains ar around how this keeps happening and why there's been inaction on so many fronts. Um, you know, there's there's been at the state level all across the country a, a variety of different reactions to kind of the latest tragic um, gun violence. Um, and, you know, s s some states have even, you know, been loosening the uh, gun laws in response to um, to all of this kind of under that fallacy of the, you know, the good guy with a gun, you know, what's the situation in, o in Ohio? How have, how have things, how have things been handled there? How are people reacting and, and what are your thoughts about what needs to be done? Well, Rob, you know, this is a very personal issue for me. Um, in August 4th of 2019, we experienced a mass shooting in Dayton while I was mayor. Mm -hmm. And nine people were killed and 27 more were injured in the course of 32 seconds. Mm -hmm. And we had good guys with guns that did save hundreds of people's lives, but still not fast enough in that 32 seconds to not see that many people die and be injured. Uh, and the next day after we had this uh, devastating shooting in a place where all of us came together as a community regularly, we had a vigil in that same spot. And Mike DeWine was there. And when he got up to speak, uh, the people of Dayton shouted in frustration, do something. It was organic. It's one of the few times you really see something like that happen right now. Um, and the next day, Mike DeWine called me and said that he was going to do something around common sense, gun safety, and deal with violence in our communities. And I stood with Mike DeWine, um, believed him. You know, I believe in, you know, you know working uh, to mm -hmm. consensus is the way forward for our government. And what Mike DeWine has done since is actually make it worse. And never, frankly, in my worst nightmare, did I think he was going to do that. Mm -hmm. uh, he had signed Stand Your Ground, which made our communities less safe in January of 21. Just this past week, permit permitless concealed carry went into effect in Ohio, which makes our law enforcement less safe. And it's actually shown to increase officer-involved shootings anywhere from 10 to 15 percent in communities. And then finally, he decided to sign a bill that arms teachers, something both, again, law enforcement and teachers are against, um, because with only 24 hours of training, uh, think about this, your teacher in Ohio has to be, to renew their license to teach, needs 180 hours, but to have a gun around your child, 24 hours is all that's necessary wow. now. Uh, and, you know, I think this is what we've seen over and over in this state is, you know, Number one on this issue, Mike DeWine is too weak to stand up to the extremists. I think he knows these are terrible bills, but, you know, nine people dead in Dayton 
aren't worth the political risk for him. He's too focused on keeping his power and he's afraid of the gun makers and the gun lobbies and the extremists in his party rather than doing the right thing. And I've always had this attitude about this work is, you know, in order to do the job, you have to be willing to lose the job. Like you have to do what's right and what you believe is right in your heart. Uh, And what you know is the best way forward. And Mike DeWine is a coward. Uh, and is not willing to do what uh, what what is really necessary to protect Ohioans. And it's because, you know, frankly, he's gotten the most money of any statewide elected from the gun lobby and gun makers. So, you know, you know, people's lives and the safety of our communities are no longer a priority. Uh, and, you know, I was there. I witnessed what the people of Dayton called for. I was there to hold my community together, and I'm proud of my community. It's a gritty, resilient, amazing community. But this is not what they asked for. Mm-hmm. And he has gone the absolute opposite way. And we deserve so much better to keep our community safe. Yeah. Wow. Well said. Well said. You know, Nan, it used to be. I don't know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, that Ohio felt like it was the bellwether of sort of political attitude in the United States at the presidential level. If you couldn't win Ohio, you weren't going to win the presidency. That was true for a long time and ceased to be true. Felt like a purple kind of state. Um, You know, people would sort of move each direction. Um, Some of us who've paid attention to national politics and want Republicans to speak out against Donald Trump have heard Governor DeWine do such a thing and from afar it can seem like well maybe maybe they're coming to some common sense attitudes there there in Ohio maybe it's shifting shifting back to that but what people like me see because someone's on a Sunday morning news program or you know something like that is is not what you're seeing on the ground can you talk a little bit about that the changing spirit of Ohio in the past and what you see happening right now and where a you know a character like Mike DeWine fits into that? Yeah, I think you're right, Doug. I mean, Ohio is a common sense state, right? We like um, deci- like where the majority of the population generally is, is where Ohio is. Um, but what we've seen over the past couple decades is it's also frustrated, mm. right? We've seen millions of jobs lost uh, across the country, but particularly in Ohio uh, because of deal, you know, for example, trade deals that have not put workers first, mm-hmm. have put, you know, regions like Ohio last and said, oh, they'll just figure it out. And we've seen the hollowing out of communities because of that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people are right to feel um, ignored because they have been ignored by, you know, their government. And I, I think this is both state and nationally, frankly. Uh, and then when we look when we look at someone like Mike DeWine, who is really, you know, uh, uh, during this period of time, just been getting more and more extreme to hold on to his party. We see that if the politics have gotten way out of line to what people in Ohio want, hmm. you know, people in Ohio want a good paying job so they can provide for their family. They want to be able for their kids and grandkids to have the choice to live in the community where they grew up in, right? They want to have opportunity. And I don't think that's too much to ask for. I don't care if you're like in the inner city of Cleveland or if you're down in Marietta, Ohio on the river, 
you know, that is the American dream and it's the Ohio dream. And it has gotten out of reach for people over the past couple decades because we've had self-serving politicians and self-serving politics that hasn't paid attention to the worker. You know, Ohio has this dignity of work. Uh, our senator, I think the greatest senator in the country, Sherrod Brown, talks about yeah. this. This idea that, you know, if you have one job, it should be enough, no matter if you're wiping you know, floors or providing for hmm. um, people in, in a nursing home or if you're a white collar worker in a financial institution, that job should be enough to provide for your family full stop. And that has gotten further and further away in Ohio and both our state, our state lawmakers and sometimes our national lawmakers have completely lost their way about that and then wonder why we're so upset in Ohio. Yeah. Well, I can tell you why. I mean, I'm pretty upset about it. I understand uh, where that frustration lies. And, you know, I think, you know, Ohioans feel like, you know, we had a bargain, right? We were going to work hard and yeah. then we would be able to provide for our families. And sadly, that is out of reach for too many people. And that's what's affecting our politics here. Yeah. 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 Hey, Nan. Uh, so here at Vote Common Good, we invite voters, we ask voters, particularly religious voters, white evangelicals and white Catholics, to use the common good as their voting criteria. Um, we have been asking candidates for office to use the common good as their governing criteria should they be elected. And, uh, and, and so we've got um, this group of, of candidates for common good who have kind of raised their hand and say, yeah, I'll do that. This is something that that matters to me. I will, I will be someone who who's in this not just for myself, uh, but for the common good. Uh, and and you're one of those candidates. And I'm so, so I'm curious. <laughs> well, we're honored to have you. Um, and uh, so I, I'm curious, you know, why that's something that's important to you. Talk about, you know, why you wanted to be a, a candidate for common good. Right. So, you know, my background is one I was I was raised Catholic and actually went to an all girls Catholic uh, high school in Indiana. And that's where I think my religious foundation came in and was um, basically um, molded by the Franciscan nuns who are, um, you know, I think probably safely more of the liberal side of the Catholic uh, faith. And they had this idea that was two ideas. Number one, that women pretty much should be able to do whatever they want to do, uh, which is a strange place, you know, coming from a Catholic doctrine that that's what I learned. Yeah. Uh uh, it, from the Franciscan nuns who helped mold my leadership and shape me. And then secondly, I learned the seven tenets of social justice, something the Catholic Church doesn't talk about much now. Uh, and, you know, those tenets um, are really important, you know, around, mm -hmm. you know, treating people right, um, not being involved in, in, in a politics for personal gain, but for the, the good of the community. Um, and for really being a public servant. And what does public service mean? It can mean, you know, volunteering at your neighborhood. It can mean um, helping to pick up trash in the river. It could mean um, lobbying on behalf of children that don't have a voice. And it can mean running for office. And so that work is what has inspired and instructed my time uh, and my leadership in, in both as mayor of Dayton and um, uh, now running for governor. And so I'm really honored to have uh, your all's endorsement, Common Goods endorsement, because I think that kind of conversation 
particularly in the Christian faith is really important as we work Mm -hmm. to bring people together and not set people apart. Right. And what we have in common for the good of humanity, regardless of what people believe, regardless Mm -hmm. Their beliefs that there is there is a, a humanity of, of democracy that can really mold people together and build a build communities of trust and mutual respect and so that I think is I think really important that's why I'm so honored to have uh, this endorsement thank you Rob yeah oh well thank you it's it's yeah the honor is ours really uh, so you know we we often talk with folks who are running for office the first time. And, you know, their heads are spinning at what it's really like. And, and we always kind of invite them like, you know, m- most of us, I mean, Doug and I have both run for office, but, mo- you know. Yeah. It, <laughs> and, and lost. Yeah, I mean, we're, you know. Yeah, so. Look at, yeah, now we're hosting a podcast because, you know, right. apparently we weren't very good at it. But, <laughs> uh, but he, he, most people aren't going to do this. You know, they're not going to run for office. And so we, we, we love to ask candidates to kind of, you know, pull back the curtain a little bit and take people inside and talk about kind of what surprises them or what they didn't expect or what, you know, what people would find kind of interesting or unusual about, you know, just the reality of running for office as a human being. Now, you've you've run for office before in Dayton. Now you're running statewide. I'm curious, you know, how is it different in terms of the scale and, you know, I, how is it different run, from running, you know, a local race to running a statewide race, you know, from a, not from like the, you know, the political machine kind of components of it, but just, you know, from, you know, from a, the human perspective, what, what's it like running statewide compared to running a local race? Well, I, sure, certainly the scale is a uh, hundred times, a hundred times bigger. You know, uh, Ohio yeah. is a really big state with probably five different regions. And I think the hardest thing that's different is, you know, when, when you're running for mayor of Dayton, you can touch everybody, right? Or my husband and I could touch everybody. When I ran for mayor, um, my husband walked thousands of doors. And when we did a poll to see how we were doing, we'd asked, you know, who are you going to vote for? And and then just why? Because we didn't have a lot of money, just an open-ended question why. And um, people actually texted and said and said in the in the poll, like, well, I met her husband and I'm really great. So uh, he must have married somebody awesome. So like that is not gonna happen in a wide race. My husband cannot or and I cannot get to every single place. And so certainly um, you know, the 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 nature of getting to people in different ways, whether it's digital, podcast, on TV is much more important in a, in a statewide race. And so that scale. I'll tell you this, though, you know, I, I always encourage candidates, regardless if they're running statewide or locally, to get off social media. Like you have to have a social media presence, mm. but don't read it. I don't read the comments. I'm sorry if folks have con- like comment on them. I don't read them because it can be pretty vitriol in that work. Yeah. And what I find is when you go places, people are so gracious when they meet you face to face and they're so grateful that you're real um, and that they typically thank you for running for office. And mm-hmm. I think we need to remember that, that there are still folks out there that believe in the democracy yeah. and might not even agree with you, but but appreciate the fact that people are willing to put themselves out there. And yeah. so I always encourage candidates uh, for local races or statewide races. Of course, you have to have a social media presence. That is not the real world. The real world is the one yeah. you walk to at the, at the parade or 
at the picnic at Juneteenth or at the 4th of July festival. Those are real humans. You can talk to them. And that's really important to hold on to when you're running for office because it can be pretty tough. And, Mm -hmm. you know, seeing real humans and getting real hugs, especially now that, you know, we can manage COVID better. um, The hugs are really, really key. Right. Mm. Yeah. That's awesome. Are you you saying, let let me pause you here for a minute. Are you saying you're exchanging hugs for votes? Is this a hugs for votes (laughs) campaign that you have going on here? I need to hug for a vote or not. Like I'll hug any, I love hugs. That's a good call. Well, Nan, you have a 930 appointment, so we need to let you go. Um, But before we do, just one final question from me as a, as a born, born and raised Ohioan who now lives in Arkansas. Um, Browns or Bengals? Bengals, buddy. You know, I'm down in I'm down in Dayton. All right. And I love well, Joe Burrows. I love Joe you. Burrows, you know, complaints, evidence. And also he stood up and talked about how we need to get gun violence figured out, which is a true profile, you know, someone that's pretty new to this, speaking his mind. Um, every time Joe Burrows talks, I'm like, man, I really like that guy. So uh-huh. I, you know, if, if All right, we're gonna playing, have to start playing the at least we can we can, at least we can agree on the Buckeyes, though. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. All the way home. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Nan. Congratulations, Nan. We wish I could move to Ohio and vote for you. I wish so, too. If you find some Ohio <laughs> friends, please tell them about me, we'll, okay? Uh, we'll, we'll do. We're doing that as best we can. Th- thanks so much, Nan. Thanks. Bye-bye. Ah, <clears throat> oh, these candidates, just the best. Just wow. the best people. Wow. Smart, sensible, just you need a third qualified. Ah. Hugger, man. real hugger. I mean, we, yeah, hugger. I mean, that's awesome. You know, we didn't get a chance to talk about um, with Nan because she she had to go, and you know, her her communications director is texting me. So I was going to say, people, people so. should know that when you're like to these candidates, like, hey, I know you got a meeting, got to go, is not one of those. Hey, I should let you go because we're tired of you. It is. No, they have campaign managers that are like, <laughs> okay, seriously, we're going to let this person come in your podcast. Don't talk about the weather for seven minutes because <laughs> she's got a thing at 930. But we will not be dissuaded, dissuaded from, you know, yeah. weather yeah. chat. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The, I mean, the one other thing I wanted to ask Nan about that we didn't have a chance to was that, uh, you know, it's really a, a his campaign. It's the first time in Ohio mm-hmm. that two women have been at the top of the ticket as um, the nominees of their party for the two highest offices in the state. Nan's running mate uh, is a lady named Cheryl Stevens, who is um, running for Lieutenant governor. And the two of them together um, are, you know, it would be the first time that, you know, Ohio would elect a, a woman governor and a woman Lieutenant Governor, very exciting stuff. I, I even wonder about. Uh, I even wonder nationally how often that's happened. Uh, you know, we've not seen that with major candidates for president. I wonder if we've seen that for governor and lieutenant governor in any states. Do you know? I, I don't know off the top of my head. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Um, if it has happened, it's certainly been rare. They haven't won yeah. that I know of. I don't think there's been a seated governor and lieutenant governor. Well, Rob, lots of other things, yeah. and I'm just having the craziest camera and screen day. Yeah, now all of a sudden I've blurry gone blurry. You know, normally my background is blurry and I'm clear. All of a sudden it's just like, yeah. I'll tell you, this is just the longest day. I use that joke <laughs> all day on June 21st. Does your, uh, does your wife enjoy that? She everyone enjoys that? it. No, everyone enjoys it. Rob, people are you know people enjoy a good longest day pun. It's just sort of like, <laughs> one of the great moments. Uh, so today 
got elections today. Uh, we've yes. got elections, primary elections in Virginia, Alabama, Georgia, and Washington, D.C. And in Washington, D.C., um, so I don't know, did you see yesterday that Reverend Wendy Hamilton, because we have two Reverend Wendy's as candidates for common good, so I guess I need to uh, clarify, qualify. Reverend Wendy in D.C. had her car vandalized um, no. not last night, but the night before, um, she came out and, and it was talking about a long day. Uh, it was a really rough experience. You know, you probably saw the news about the 15 year old boy that was shot and killed in DC yeah. by, uh, by a police officer. He was one of Wendy's students. Remember she works in the DC school system and she was one of, he was one of her students. And so she was kind of absorbing that and wrapping her brain around that. And she came out to her car and uh, bricks had been thrown through her, um, through her back uh, window. And there was a brick sitting on her windshield and um, it was the only car on her street that was vandalized. She really felt like it, it was targeted because it was her car, nothing taken from inside, just, just vandalized and so really kind of rattled yesterday and uh yeah well this is one of the nonetheless and this is one of the things that you know that you were seeing in in a current spate of politics here um you can go back a year and a half to the january 6th violence all the promised violence the threats that are coming against people who are running for office Mm. it's it's really something, and it's um, yeah. it's dangerous to a, a civic society like ours, where the battle at the ballot box is the place where we're supposed to deal with these issues, right? And when a, when a political party or a candidate wins, you should take that very seriously. If you think they shouldn't win, you should organize and do your work and try to make sure that person's not reelected. That's what we have them for. But there's this other narrative that goes along with authoritarianism that's always been a part of the United States. Didn't used to get support at the highest levels that it does now from the former president and now from the Republican Party. There's really a narrative that says that violence is a reasonable solution for people um, in the course of what would be often called political discourse. And the fact that Republicans in their Republican charter tried to refer to January 6th as, what was the phrase, normal political discourse? Yeah, normal or typical political discourse. Yeah, like saying, oh, no, that is what you do. That's, this this is how it goes. So we're going to hear today on the hearings uh, about people whose whose physical well-being and lives are, have been, have been threatened. That is, that is happening currently. People like Reverend yeah. Wendy run, running for office, having having vandalism done to their car. It's hard to not suppose that it's related to the fact that she's uh, a candidate seeking seeking public office, even in a place uh, like D.C., which tends to lean particularly toward one political party. Yeah, these kinds yeah. of things. Or, or or you've got a you know a Missouri Senate candidate releasing a campaign video. Have you seen? Have you seen it, Doug? Uh, which one is it? The uh, the rhino hunting. Yeah, well, I saw a snooze story about it where he says, "Like, let's go hunting for." And rhino, for those who don't follow nerdy, stupid politics, colloquialisms, Republican in Republican in name only. Yeah, rhinos and dinos. This this thing about there's pure there's pure Republicans, pure Democrats, pure progressives, pure conservative, like yeah. that whole thing. Yeah, now, now this guy is. Apparently saying, you know, uh, 
try, trying to say, oh, I was just using a metaphor that our campaign is going to be hunting these people. Whereas images of him with a rifle. And, yeah. 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 And troops knocking, like full combat gear troops knocking a door down and, and you know, going. It, it is the, the, there is a connect. So, you know, in our faith tradition, um, we have this, <laughs> to use a phrase, we have this, we have this phrase, this idea that words create worlds. Mm-hmm. You go all the way back to, you know, Genesis 1 and, you know, the, the, the creation poem there, God is speaking the world into existence. And it has this idea that, that, that words create worlds, that we, that we impart the the worlds that we inhabit are 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 impacted are formed by what we say about them how we speak that there is a direct connection between the world that we live in and our rhetoric and uh and it's not to say that you know rhetoric causes everything because it doesn't but there is a connection between rhetoric words and the worlds in which we live and uh and what we're seeing is the acceptance of violence as a political tactic that has taken place. It, it's it's always been around. You're you're right about saying that, Doug. But reaching the highest levels in our government and being so normalized as it has that that it it really is. My fear is that it is producing a, a climate in which violence becomes the only acceptable solution, the only possible solution. Uh, and, and ads like these and, uh, and, you know, the, this kind of stuff that, you know, we see, you know, throughout the country um, is, is the type of thing that, um, you know, could have a really disastrous impact on the future of the country and the future of democracy. Yeah, uh, look, you are so right about that. One of the things that I have struggled with as a civic pacifist is that our own history in the United States is oriented around a violent revolution narrative. Now, I'm not Wanting to yep. relitigate whether the United States should have had a, a revolution against a British government that wouldn't allow for self-governance. What I'm saying is that is in our history. It's in our anthems, our national anthems, even though our national anthem was actually written about the War of 1812. But it's in there. So we have to recognize in the United States that we have chosen in our past to use violence in our own narrative, in the Civil War narrative, in taking lands from people, in incarcerating people, in being involved in wars around the world that are related to our, our political outcomes. We have used it and continue to use it. In fact, we prepare ourselves to use it and thank people for volunteering to be paid to be in a paid-for military to enforce with violence our political means around the world. Taking that into consideration, we shouldn't fool ourselves into thinking, wow, people aren't actually going to get violent. Like, it is, we are primed in this country to do this. So we have to work very hard 
and very intentionally in order to resist those impulses that are in us, as opposed to saying to ourselves, oh, that's not really in us. Only the craziest wackadoodles would do such a thing, which is why you brought up a few weeks ago that on the January 6th narrative, people were using 1776 language around it, right? Which is, is this one of the times when violence is acceptable of citizen on citizen. I would say is closer to, you know, 1860, 1863 than it was to 1776, mm-hmm. that it's a lost cause rebellion against the government. But even there, violence is used citizen upon citizen. So we had better just take very seriously the danger that exists in our society because we yeah. have shown ourselves and have in our DNA this uh th- th- this bit yeah. Yeah. now as a little yeah, side note it. if dan can you put that put the text back up of that uh of that article the ar- if you're only listening to this you, c- you can't read it like that fletch joke you know the movie fletch if you could if this was at all uh, legible you'd see what i was talking about uh it says join the maga crew and get a rhino hunting permit this wackadoodle candidate says there's no bagging limit no tagging limit and it doesn't expire until we save our country so he's using hunting metaphors and while there's guys in military outfits in the background of the picture but look if what's going on now is that the MAGA movement is fully disassociating itself from other kinds of Republicans maybe that is the smallest little seed of hope Right. That finally it can be made clear for all of you people who vote Republican and see yourselves as Republicans and have a Republican identity. God bless you. You're not MAGA. Like start to make that separation and stop giving these people as a great speaker that I heard one time. Stop giving these people the love offering of your votes. Stop giving it over to them because it's uh they are uh, they are trying a purity play on this. Yeah. And, and while well, I'm preaching here, progressives, watch the same thing. Stop this. Clear the deck of all the moderates. Clear the deck of all the Democrats who want to compromise. Like that kind of extremism that exists across our system, it is not serving anybody well. It creates fanaticism, especially dangerous ones, when people with the most guns and the most bullets win. I actually heard a quote of, of uh, Wayne LaPierre, the disgraced president of the National Rifle Association, say, you know what history teaches us? Those who have the most guns win. He said it to wow, the NRA. Wow, that's terrifying. It's terrifying. We should pull the clip up sometime for all this. It's really an incredibly uh, uh, dangerous and cynical view. So the reason a lot of the Second Amendment people believe what they believe is because mm-hmm. they think that that's how you get political power. And I would say yeah. the people with the most votes win, that that's how it ought to go, that that should be a thing. Uh it's clear that parts of the Republican Party and, and uh, the MAGA movement especially does not agree with that at all. Yeah. It's where do yeah. the votes come and from, whose votes, what order did you count them in? The order you <laughs> counted them in, not the number of them. Uh, so, uh, you know, there, there is an, anti, uh, an anti-votes win uh, attitude and it's being replaced with, uh, with a whole yeah. lot of other things. Yeah. So we just have so to be careful. In it, I mean, we've got all of this. We have the Supreme Court decisions looming. I mean, it's likely that today or tomorrow Roe v. Wade will be overturned. 
Um, oh, you think it's today and, or tomorrow? Yeah, that's I actually thought docket. it was going to be last week. Yeah, I, yeah, I wondered that I too. I wondered, I wondered if that's why they had postponed the hearing last Wednesday, that they got yeah. scuttlebutt, that yeah. that was going to come out because that's going to be a big competing story. And it's pretty clear that the yeah. Supreme Court doesn't care what else is going on or possibly even know what else is going on in their uh, choice to, to Oh, they this. know. I mean, they, they, they well, have... Some of their spouses like they have a mole. They have a mole inside the uh, Stop the Steal movement. They've got... Yeah. Like, <laughs> well, look, I, I, have, I have not coordinated my schedule with Shelley's schedule on many occasions, so if there's Supreme Court justices who have not coordinated their hostile takeover, their wife's hostile takeover of our democracy... Uh, schedule wise, I could I, I could understand how that could possibly happen. You know that that you're a little yeah. surprised at a late night talk, uh, late night chat about the week schedule. That oh, hang on, is it on Tuesday that you're going to try to take away rights that have existed? Uh, f- because that was the day I was going to try to uh, you know un- unrest I, our I democracy. Was, I, w- I was bussing in. Hundreds, you know, uh, tens of thousands of people to uh, storm the Capitol. On Tuesday. I was running a busing program for uh, hostile uh, insurrectionists. Uh, if you don't know what we're talking about, uh, Ginny Thomas, the wife of Clarence Thomas, is now become a key player in how in pressuring states and particular individuals in states to buy the stop the steal argument and the fact that the. Uh, you know, the former president of the United States wanted to tell people that he just needed to pick up. Today, what we're going to hear is we just needed to pick up 11,780 votes. Is yeah. that what it is? 11,780? Yeah. Do you think that'll be his prison number? You think just for fun, they'll just at the federal level, they just grant him 11,780 uh, as his prison number? Uh, there, there's a t shirt. Uh, there's a, there there, there, a There's a meme. There's a mean Trump yep. in a prison garb, and the number is eleven seven eighty. That's all I need. That's all uh, yeah. I need to, to be free from this. Okay, all that because the, uh, the on front and center is Arizona and Georgia today, where they're going to have testimony from people saying this and, is what the Trump yeah. uh, reelection the, campaign. The, Ge- the Georgia Secretary of State, whom Trump called, um, and is now being investigated not just by the January 6th commission, but by officials in Georgia um, as a violation of the law to pressure the secretary of state over the phone um, to find these votes needed so he could win um, is going to be testifying today. You know, this is uh, this feels like a, this could be fireworks kind of moment. And um, that's that's pretty exciting. Now, I know we joked last week and you because you're on Truth Social and you follow Donald Trump's you know postings that Donald Trump had said uh, in all caps shouting, I want equal time. It, yeah. it Demanding be- it. It, it, ha- demand- <laughs> it. It has become more possible in my mind that this unhinged former twice impeached loser in his reelection bid president will want to go sit in front of the committee and say things. Mm-hmm. I, I think there, I think he is just pacing around uh, Mar-a-Lago, you know, interrupting people's uh, luncheons at the golf course, unable to yeah. control himself. Do you think there's any, like, I think it went from, there is absolutely no chance to, you know, th- 
even the weather forecasters want to say, you know, there's always a 1% chance that a storm could pop up. Yeah. Uh, I, I think it's somewhere in that 1% to 5% chance that Donald Trump might actually say, oh, oh no, I'm, I'm coming in and I'm going to tell all of, I'm going to litigate and I'm going to, do you think there's any chance? I mean, I, I think there's a slim chance. I don't think it's likely. I've, I've become more and more convinced that here's what I think is more likely. Okay. I think, I think Donald Trump, before the committee hearings are over, before they've concluded, will announce that he is running for president in 2024 so that any recommendation, any conclusion, any, um, you know, upshot of the committee hearings can be dismissed as politically motivated. Hmm. And, and, and so I think he will announce that he is running for president in 2024 sometime Pro, like depending on how long the committee takes to finish up, but before the committee is concluded. Hmm. This is like this is like one of those prophecies that end up with a virgin birth story in the Gospels, where like before the young virgin has a child, such will be delivered to the nation of Israel, which is where the prophecy you know that gets rooted into the the Mary hmm. story comes from. It was a timing prophecy. You're yep. giving us one of those timing prophecies here about. Uh, about when Donald Trump is going to announce. Okay, here's here's my theory on that. He's not going to run for re-election. Uh, he will have all the ability in the world to still claim all of this as political huntery, you know, um, from no matter what, because he's a former president. So he he gains nothing by being an active candidate versus being a former candidate. In fact, until the election happens, he's always hanging out there as a possibility. So I don't think he needs a, I don't think he picks up anything more. Uh, and here's why I think he's not going to run. There are other people who want to be president. DeSantis from Florida, Abbott from Texas, Chris Christie from a buffet somewhere. All of these people uh, really... <laughs> Really want How, to you be, name yeah you you name two people that wouldn't have been on my short list that's uh, that's interesting really want to run for president that's what they're up to that's what they're doing Mike Pence Mike Pompeo a whole line of people who are like this is my shot there's no way that a president who has 50 60 percent of the American population who says in a poll I think he should be criminally prosecuted has a chance of winning. So these people are going to be like, I'm not going to go soft gloves on Donald Trump. I think the calculation this guy's going to have to make is, does he want a slate of continuous Republicans doing what's happening during the committee hearings and have people out there saying Donald Trump didn't call in the National Guard, Donald Trump didn't. Uh, reinforce the Capitol. He didn't do anything over those hours. He never acted. Look, a lot of these people, I want to make a TikTok video about this too, by the way. A lot of these people who support Trump, one of their big arguments is it was Antifa that attacked the Capitol, right? Yeah. Great argument. Yeah. So let me ask you this, Antifa attacked the Capitol on January 6th crowd. Why didn't Donald Trump call in military response to protect the Capitol from Antifa? 
If you believe it was Antifa, then you also have to believe Donald Trump didn't do anything about it. So why didn't he protect the Capitol from the anti-fascist movement? So the f- excellent, excellent question. Excellent question, sir. <laughs> so, so here's, I mean, it's just, is that just not ripe for tip for a TikTok video? Uh-huh. I mean, just, I could put yeah. a thing up behind me and I pop in the screen and say something stupid like that. Okay. So here's what I think Donald Trump's most afraid of. People like his daughter, people like Pompeo, people like Christie, DeSantis, Abbott, having to come out and say, I'm going to still run. And now the primary is not going to be about your failed stake business, your ties, your your uh, university, your bragging about physically assaulting women. Now, all of that plus... You didn't defend the Capitol against Antifa. Hmm. Or you didn't defend the Capitol against your own supporters. This is the worst possible thing for him is to have that litigated by other Republicans in Republican Hmm. primaries. That's why I think he has to make the calculation to not run so that it never gets publicly litigated. Because if he's running in the primary, these guys have to talk about it 24-7. If he's not running, they will never talk about it. DeSantis, Christie, Pompeo, Pence, they won't talk. You'll ask them about January 6th, and they will say January 6th, 2019 was a great day. I vacationed in the Bahamas. Ted Cruz, who will be running, will be saying, I was heading off to Cancun with my kids while my state was, you know, under an ice storm. Like, they will not talk about January 6th, 2021. Uh, it's gonna. They're gonna have a mental block about it. So that's my theory. Yeah. He's not running. Oh, I like and, it. And th- and that's why because he will do the calculation, and people are gonna say to him, yeah. "Mr. Failed President, Mr. Bad Golfer, Mr. Cheater, Mr. I Lost Re-election as Sitting President." You don't want these people out there talking about this. I know you think you're gonna just scare them out of the field. You really think? DeSantis is going to say, oh, okay, I'm going to step back. You think he's burning down any sense of moral uh, authority that he has uh, to try to get your to try to get your voters and then is just going to say, okay, go ahead and lose lose the election to anyone that's running against you. Uh, So anyway, that's that's uh, now I've been wrong about nearly every choice that Donald Trump makes because he is an irrational character that makes bad choices. That's what I was about to say is that you and I both have been completely wrong about every prediction we've ever made about Donald Trump. And uh, and so it's very likely that, you know, if you if you are a betting person, put money on he's going to announce after January, after the January 6th commission is, is done. Cause that's, uh, that's, we've got the other, we've got the other things covered. So, yeah. Well, uh, look, uh, a, a lot going on. I, I wish I prayed. I, I, you know, look, Dr. Leo, uh, Leroy Marvin, no, Dr. Leo Marvin. I've been baby stepping, you know, from, uh, that that fantastic uh, what about Bob movie? What about Bob? I, I tried to do my work to not talk about Donald Trump for 2021 for 2022. I, I really wanted the man to slide away and slither, you know, off the national stage, the rainmaker that he is. But that's just not the America that we live yep. in. He's 
um, and, and partly because, in America. because we haven't uh, we haven't finished litigating this one yet. And yeah. whatever's going to come out as as legal consequence for this, whether it's in Manhattan, which sounds like is not going to happen, whether it's going to be in Georgia, whether it's going to be from the Justice Department. You know, I've long said I don't think we can have a president in jail. <laughs> I think it's just really bad. I don't know what we do about it to preserve the decorum beyond the individual's bad behavior. Um, but boy, it's looking like somebody's got to, I mean, if crimes were committed in the Justice Department or the, the attorneys general in Georgia or in New York looks past it, just because it's political, it says something that's worse than what I think is a terrible yeah. thing, which is the president, former president's uh, being imprisoned. This is why you don't elect people like Donald Trump, folks, because he ruins yes. everything. Exactly. Not to be overly didactic and about we'll, it, but. And we will, uh, we'll get a chance to hear all about it in, uh, in a few hours when we reconvene to, uh, to watch the hearings. Now, maybe folks haven't been watching the hearings with us. We've, we've, we did the first one just kind of for fun. Like, Hey, let's, uh, let's see how this goes. And, uh, I, I don't know. I enjoyed it so much that uh, like we we got to do this again, and we're we're now down to uh, we are watching every minute of the hearings, and uh, and here we go. And and Doug, you and I are bringing uh, you know our Statler and Waldorf uh, yeah, a game, um, real a game, a lot of yeah wows. commentaries. We you know we just wow with all the wow. sensitivity of a of a golf commentator. <laughs> Wow, these are uh, yeah. walking up. To and the... I mean, where else could you get, you know, comments about, you know, the speaking style of retired judges, the, you know, <laughs> which, you know, I, I, I texted you some tweets from him. Um, <laughs> you know, he's got a real good sense of humor. Yeah, about that he all said, that. I never, I don't let my speaking speed be faster than my brain speed, which is terrifying that yeah. that was a federal appeals judge. That's whose brain moves well, at that speed. Just, <laughs> oh, he was just cracking a joke. I understand. Uh, I understand. Yeah. But, uh, you know, so invite just folks took a while, to It just took a while on, for the joke to land. You know, it was. <laughs> just a full nine seconds. You know how long nine seconds of silence is? It's longer than most it's, stoplights. Most stoplights aren't red for nine seconds, as it turns out. You know, it's just. <laughs> we put a timer up. Remember? Uh, yeah, seven, seven to nine seconds of pause yeah. before he would yeah. respond. Oh, well, so when you have something folks, that important to say, you just wait on yeah. it. You just wait on it yeah. like wait on it like gold. All right. Well, we'll be back. Join in three us on hours. the yeah yeah. Join us on the YouTube channel to uh, to watch the hearings. All right, Dan. Anything from you with your uh, your life fresh off of this producer Dan? I'm speaking to off of your. Uh, no, we got the fan uh, running. It, I can hear the fan yeah, running in the background. It's a hundred degrees already, and I've be- got fans and tiny air conditioners yeah, none well, of which will help no that's all right everybody see they've uh, got them running in their you, own houses and apartments i'm sure <laughs> it's going to be the longest with, day though it's the longest day. you're got, looking good with your tan though dan <laughs> i've been in florida you got a tan it's not my favorite state but we had fun anyways yeah uh, it, it really is my favorite st- i mean of my fa- it's among my favorites i just i know people wow, say things okay. about florida i just love it i think they make bad choices but i love a lot of people that make bad choices so <laughs> in fact most people yeah <laughs> all right anybody else anything else rob dan anybody no, i'm good thanks jim nope. thanks randy thanks uh oh there were some others mo. i mo i i lost hey. some with my 
ridiculousness happening today. All right, so we'll be back. uh, And then tomorrow, talking with um, Brian McLaren, author, activist, turtle hunter. Florida resident. Florida resident. Turtle raiser. uh, Really? Oh, I'm going to have to hear Is razor a phrase you use? Like, he doesn't have a turtle raiser. Is he a turtle farmer? Turtle rancher? He... (laughs) Turtle Rancher. He does Herder. have he does have many a tordi in his backyard. I mean, it's it's not like somebody's got a turtle. Our neighbor has a little painted turtle that you know the kids play with. No, this is this is a habitat. He's got a habitat of. I think rancher is the way to go. Turtle rancher. rancher. Yeah, I like that. Turtle rancher. <laughs> okay, that's going up on the screen on the bottom. Let's let's just put up different titles for Brian over the course of the interview. <laughs> they just say things like you know somebody will say author, see if he notices, former yeah. pastor, a kayaker, and then a turtle rancher. <laughs> okay, so lots of good things uh, coming and going from uh, the world of Okama Good. So we will see you all yeah. tomorrow. If you're not watching this on YouTube, uh, it's time it's time to make the switch. Um, if you're watching this on Twitter, it's time to cancel your account and uh, do, do something else with your life. Because come on, let's be clear, it's not helping any of us. All right, uh, we'll see you down the road. See you soon. Bye.